As I sang the music that was prepared this morning, uh, I realized the incredible way that the Holy Spirit takes and dovetails what we do into one. Keisha, I want to thank you. Um, in, in retrospect, if, if I had preached and we sang every song that we just sang, you would say, that, that is amazing. But that's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Who pulls that together for his purpose. Um, we've got a lot going on in the next week. You heard, uh, you heard reports. I want to encourage you to get involved in the next, in this next two weeks in, in all that we have. Um, and uh, that God will bless us in our endeavors as we come to this wonderful time of year. <clears throat> well, this morning we're concluding a series of messages that we've called Being Certain. Uh, how to know you're right with God. And I suppose if there's anything that is, uh, there's, there's can be nothing that is more critical than knowing I'm right with God, that I'm right with my creator, the one who... Uh, fashioned me and formed me, the one who gives me life, sustains my life, and the one who will call me to account when I stand before him someday uh, and give account for my life according to what he has done and asked of us. And we've been looking um, and, and trying to probe this question. Can you really know that you're right with God? Can you know? Is, is that something or is that, is that just the kind of thing that you have to hope for? Do your best and just hope for. And, uh, and what we have looked at in 1 John is that John really wants us to have confidence in our faith. He wants us to be sure of our faith. And, um, and what he does, he gives us a series of tests that will help us when we apply them to our life to determine where are we with God. And so uh, let me just give you a brief synopsis of where we've been the last four weeks in these tests. And I'll say that if you missed one, you can go online. Um, I, I just had somebody tell me that... Uh, uh, they were in Jamaica, and they followed our services week after week. So it's so great uh, what we can do with that, and you can stay connected. But the first test was the gospel test, and that is trusting Christ in his death and resurrection alone for our salvation. And then the truth test. It's important about what we believe about Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done. And the moral test. Not persisting in sin, that sin doesn't just keep dragging us down and we go with reckless abandon, never being caught up short and, and uh, seeing God work in our life that way. And the last one, which we looked at last week, was the love test. And that is that when we see God operational working in us and we see us loving people, uh, loving the people of God, um, flowing from us, it comes from God and it gives us assurance and uh, when we see ourselves loving others self-sacrificially just as Christ has loved us. And when you see the reality of these things in your life, it gives you assurance and a sense of confidence in your faith. But let's face it, walking the Christian walk, living that life is not always easy. Um, it's not always something that though we want to be on the right side of God, uh, sometimes we aren't. 
Sometimes we don't do right things. Sometimes we look at ourselves and, and we think, well, I, just, I have to work harder. I have to be more disciplined. And, and we see anger sometimes bubbling up in us. And, and we see pride and self-centeredness. And, and we see greed. And sometimes we're not very loving. And though we have opportunities to do something wonderful some, for somebody, we don't bother. And, and, and sometimes when we shouldn't do things, we're doing things that we shouldn't do. And we have immoral thoughts, and we can be jealous of others, and we can believe that we deserve more than what we have, and um, and we can speak badly of others. And uh, we know we could have helped somebody, but we didn't do it. We could have volunteered for something where there was a need, but we just couldn't be bothered. And And so we look at our lives, and at times we say, you know, I'm really disappointed in myself. And we experience frustration and failure. The frustration and failure of not living the way God wants us to live. And we understand that. And we try. We, we honestly try. We want to do right. We, wanna, we want God to be pleased with us. And so we try and be more diligent and, and more disciplined. And we'll just work harder at it. And we find we fail again. And we wonder, you know, can I find any kind of security in my faith when I see that, well, I'm not really making it all the time. And I wonder, does God really accept me? Can I really be a genuine follower of Jesus? And um, sometimes we really feel defeated in our faith. You ever been that way? I know I have. And, And sometimes that leads to a deep sense of insecurity with our faith. And we just think we have to work harder and do more and be more disciplined. Can I tell you that that's not a bad thing to want to do that? But let me tell you also, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The good news is that God knows and understands that and and he is committed to you. He is committed to your life with him. Uh, He's committed to helping you. So that there's this whole dimension that makes being accepted by God and living the life that he wants something that he has to do in us. And the key to that is the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to work in us, to help us be what he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. And in that, he wants to produce a sense of faith for us. So the role of the Holy Spirit in your spiritual assistance, I have a few things that I want to share with you. Things that the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life as we tie this all together. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do, that we need to understand about him is this, that he is sent by the Father and the Son to help us. The Father and the Son both sent the Holy Spirit to come to help us to fulfill everything God wants for us. Now this morning we're going to lean a little bit on the Gospel of John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he wrote Revelation at the very end of the Bible. He wrote all of those. And we see some common themes flowing through them. And we're going to lean a little bit on the Gospel of John this morning as well. You see, uh, there was a time that we're going to be celebrating in, a, in a two weeks 
time when Jesus' disciples were really discouraged. Uh, Jesus told them that he was going to be crucified. He was going to be leaving them. And, and they, were, they were really down about this. He would be leaving them. And in John 14, 15 to 17, we read this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate. Another comforter. Another helper to help you. And to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you. And he will be in you. He says I know you can't make it alone. And I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be going away. And this is going to be really difficult for you. In fact in the next verse he says. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send help. I'm going to send another of me to be with you and to help you so that all of the things that I've asked you to do, the things that you're struggling with, the things that you can't do in your own power, don't worry about that. I'm going to do something for you and I'm going to send both the Father and the Son will send. In, in John 15, 26 and 27, it says this, when the advocate or the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And, and here we have, uh, here we have uh, Jesus promising that he will be with us. He'll help us. He'll, he will, he'll be sent to help us fulfill everything that he wants. And, and John would say in 1 John 4, um, he would say this. This is how we know that we live in him and that he is in us. He's given us of his spirit. So the good news is the struggle and the trouble that you have and that I have trying to live the life that God has uh, for us and, and the difficulty we have in that, it's not impossible. You can't do it on your own. And if you've been trying to do it on, uh, on your own, you'll find it so frustrating because the, the things that you want to do, you're not doing. The things you don't want to do, you are doing. And you're, you, you could pull your hair out and you think, I, I can't do this Christian thing. And God says, wait a minute, I'm going to send you someone who's going to be with you and be in you forever, and they're going to help you, and it is uh, mission possible for you. So I want you to know that God is hugely invested in your spiritual well-being. He's not up there going, well, good luck with this one. Uh, Try your best, and let's see what happens. No, he has provided help. Secondly, he makes us spiritually alive. I don't know whether you listened to some of the lyrics that we had, but God has done something in us. We just sang about that. He makes us spiritually alive. Now, Jesus is confronted uh, by a religious leader who comes to him, who, who recognizes that in, in Jesus, it, it, here's, the, here's the really weird thing. This guy, his name is Nicodemus. He's on the ruling council of the Jews. He's a religious leader. He comes to Jesus by night and he says this. Look at Master. We know that you have come from God. Listen, this is the testimony of the religious leaders. We know that you've come from God because nobody could do the kind of things that you do unless God were with him. And uh, he engages in this discussion uh, about how people really make it in their faith. And in John 3, uh, verses 3 to 7, we read this in this discussion. Jesus says to him, to this man Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
Let me paraphrase that for you. Nobody can be accepted with God unless they're born again. No one will go to heaven unless they're born again. There's something he says that is so important, and as a religious leader, you should know this. And uh, Nicodemus doesn't get it. He says, how can somebody be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Next. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Here's the problem we have. We are born spiritually dead. We are born spiritually unresponsive to God. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I was called by one of the big funeral homes that was in London. And uh, they said, uh, we have an organist that's going to be on holidays for about two weeks. Could you cover? And I, being a poor student, uh, I said, sure, a, bit, a chance to make a, a few dollars. And, and so I did. And, and they had this organ uh, in this little kind of cubby hole with with curtains and you know often in the how with a funeral the family would kind of have a last viewing so they would close the drapes the casket would be there the family would would have that last viewing and then they would close the casket and it it just so happened that where the organ was this little cubby hole was right beside where the casket was so I would see everything that's going on and here's a here's a young woman and I'm assuming it's it's her father who's in the casket. And she's talking to him and she's stroking him. And she's becoming more upset and, and agitated. And, and she's getting louder and louder. And I can see the funeral director is fidgeting. And he doesn't know what to do because now you can hear it on the other side of the, of the uh, curtain. And, and she's, now she is grabbing him and like almost trying to pull him out of the casket. And they try and get her settled down and... And, and I thought, he can't hear you. You can scream all you want. He's dead. And dead people can't respond. And we're told in Ephesians 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're spiritually unresponsive to God. And so if you're spiritually dead and you want, you want to please God and you're trying to do things, you don't have the empowerment to do it. And, and, uh, and so, so he says, you need to be born again. You need a spiritual birth. You need to be made alive spiritually. And if you're trying to live spiritually and you're, not, and you're spiritually dead, you're never going to make it. We can't do anything without him. But he brings us life. He brings us to life spiritually and makes that possible and we're receptive now all of a sudden we hear that we get the messages we hear we receive God uh, and we understand as he begins to pour into our life so that is so critical for us he makes us spiritually alive but here's what else he does he guides us into truth by the anointing He guides us in truth by the anointing. What am I talking about here? John told his readers that there were false teachers. They were giving them false 
teaching, false doctrine. They were confusing them. They were getting them all messed up. And uh, he had identified these false teachers. In fact, he called them antichrists, against Christ. This whole group of people, he lumped them all under that category of antichrist because they were against Christ. Um, In fact, they had failed the doctrinal test. They had they were propagating things that were not true about who Jesus was and and uh, as I said you can go back and listen to the message if you want to want to on uh, truth matters uh, but but here they are and um, he 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 calls them out for what they're what they are and uh, he says this you know what they went out from us because they were never from us in the first place. Here was, here's a little test. It's brief in here, but uh, we, ha- we haven't covered this, and, and we won't accept to say this. There is a perseverance test. Um, you know, when, when Jesus gave, talked about the, uh, the parable of the soils, he said, you know, some sprang up right away, but they weren't in deep soil. It was rocky soil, and the sun came out, and they were gone. They weren't true believers. And people made like a shooting star. All of a sudden, show some interest in spiritual things, and they're here. And, and they're here for a month or two months or three months, and they're gone. And they never come back. And, and, and what John says is, you know, they were never of us. Because if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. But they went out from us. They left us because they were never really a part of us. And so he, he's talking about this and, uh, and these people. And they, they had nothing to do with the people of God. They left. So how do you detect error? That's the question. If what we preach and teach, what we believe is important, if truth matters, then, then how do we know? Well, well, the Holy Spirit will guide us in truth by the anointing. So um, in First uh, John 2, verses 20 and 21, it says, you have an anointing. He, he just talked about the false teachers. Wrong. They're wrong. But you, in contradistinction to them, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I don't write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. And so he says, uh, there's this contrast, and you have something that he called the anointing. Well, what is the anointing? Well, the uh, anointing was what they did to a king, for instance, when he was being installed. They would anoint him, and that which would involve pouring oil over him and smearing oil on him, and it would be the sign of this induction into this new task. And, and in doing that, he would be set apart from other people for the task that he was called. Now, uh, we often refer to our Savior as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed one. He was the one who was anointed by God. In fact, his anointing wasn't with oil. His anointing was with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was uh, at his baptism, when he was ready, it was his time to launch his ministry. Um, There was a voice from heaven. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of of a dove and, and alighted on him. And this was in accordance with what had been talked about in Isaiah 61, that he would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, that would set him apart for this task that he was about to do and provide for him what he needed. Well, he says that we have an anointing. That we as believers have been set apart by God and we've been anointed not with oil, but we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he says in that, we have this anointing and it, it guides us in truth, that we know the truth. I don't write to you because you don't know it, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So this, so for every believer has received this anointing and that is the person of the Holy Spirit in our life that will set us apart for ministry to God and provide for us what we need uh, to be what God wants us to be. In 1 John uh, 2, 26 and 27, it says this, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you and you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now, there's something confusing in here for us as we look at this, because uh, what he's saying is, you have this anointing, and you don't need anybody to teach you. Well, obviously, he's, uh, he, what John is doing is teaching. So that can't be, it, it means that none of us needs to be taught anything. Um, and certainly, in the church, God gave Jesus gave and sent teachers, and we find that in several places, and those are highly elevated, that we need those people in our church that God has gifted and called and, and given to the church to cheat, to teach. Uh, this gift of teaching is spoken very approvingly of. Um, and so following in the footsteps of Jesus, who taught the apostles, and the apostles taught us, and we're to teach others, so it certainly can't mean that we never can be taught anything or we don't need to be taught anything. But here the false teachers laid claim to this special knowledge that they had and only they had. This wasn't anything about the word of God. It was stuff they had. And, um, and so they, they had this kind of esoteric knowledge. And it wasn't privy to any, uh, just everyone. But they, they kind of had this. And there's so much error out there, folks. Um, sometimes I watch religious programming on TV, and some of the stuff that's said is just out and out wrong. But you get on TV, and all of a sudden you have a kind of an authority, and you have uh, an audience that follows you and believes everything you say, and, and it's just not truth. Uh, truth. And some of that stuff doesn't square with Scripture, and, and some of that stuff is just out there and you need to listen to me because I have the truth and, and that's just not the way it is the Holy Spirit is our teacher in this fact that he confirms the truth in us he brings uh, so we understand and know the truth in 1 John 4 1 to 3 in verse 6 it says this dear friends do not believe every spirit don't believe everything that comes along that you hear but test the spirit to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world this is how you can recognize the spirit of God Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So how, how, do, you, how do we understand? How do, how do we know we have right doctrine? Well, the spirit is given to us to guide us in truth and, and, to, and, and to help us recognize and embrace truth. And, and uh, without that, we can be in trouble. Uh, doctrinal truths will be affirmed by the one who is the spirit of truth. In John's gospel, in 1 John, he's not only called the spirit, the Holy Spirit, he is the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's important that we're in in truth. And so it's the spirit who guides us. I heard uh, of a story of a person who had this um, new believer who just in very, very short time had had, uh, opened their heart to Jesus Christ. And there was a person from a, a pseudo-Christian cult that was not teaching the doctrine of the Scripture. And, and uh, this person watched as the, the individual was talking to this young convert and was concerned for him. And uh, they finished that discussion and he came back and, and told this man who, who had been helping him spiritually, what, what did you think? And he's worried he's going to be, he's going to confuse him and he's bringing all this stuff. And he said, you know, as I listened to him talk, all I could think in my mind was, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. And so the spirit of God will guide us into all truth. And uh, so important for it, he confirms the truth and right doctrine. Well, he also assures us of our identity. He assures us of our identity. In 1 John 3, 24, um, he says says this. This is the spirit, uh, the uh, the one who who keeps God's commandments, lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. There is this confirmation of the Spirit in our life that we are God's children, this assurance that he brings. God lives in a believer. He, they had that anointing. They had, he was abiding in them and they in him. He was living in them. And his Spirit is working to bring this assurance that we have in our relationship with God. And so he gives us that. Uh, the Apostle Paul um, would 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 look at people uh, having been transported from where they are in the world into the kingdom of God, and he makes this this statement in First John eight and verse nine. He says this. He says um, he says that in terms of identifying who he is. Let me, let me just let me just read it for you. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Romans. Thank you very much. Everybody needs help. He says, you're not in the realm of the flesh. You're not a part of the world. You're not a part of that whole system. You know, of people who are spiritually dead. Uh, he said, but you're in the realm of the spirit. God's spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, you're in the realm of the Spirit, if God's Spirit lives in you. And then he said this, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not a believer. You're not a true believer. That's what he says. It's so important. This is an identifying mark in your life. It's the Spirit of God. 
And the Spirit of God, when he's turned loose, will do a lot of things in our life and, and will assure us. But in the same chapter, in verses 14 to 17, he says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You know, see, we've, we've been talking about different kinds of proofs. Uh, objective proof, subjective proof. But when you see a person uh, led by the Spirit of God, you know that they are children of God. And the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. He says, you've come into a relationship with God by the Spirit in such a way that you are his children, and the Spirit of the living God who is in you is going to be confirming that you're my child. You're mine. I love you. I care for you. And and that relationship is incredible. And he says what he does is he adopts us. Now, um, when you're adopted, there's a very willful act of choosing and and selecting someone. He says, God adopted you. He brought you to himself. And and his spirit in you is, is saying, you are mine. And you're chosen to be in the family of God with all the rights and privileges of what that means. Uh, And the Spirit cries out, causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit in us recognizes this is my Father. I want to tell you that a Jewish person would would never uh, refer to God by that term abba it, it's it's too familiar it, it's too it's it's too uh familial um you wouldn't say in essence it's, it's daddy you call him daddy something the spirit of god in you moves you to say this is my daddy i love my father this is my father who cares for us there's somebody uh, who, who I've heard in prayer several times, and and I've heard her, I've heard her say in prayer, "Dad, we really need." And and you know, it sounds kind of weird because we normally don't hear that, but it's kind of like Abba, Dad, you're my father. You love me. You care for me, and and I reach out to you, and and. By the Spirit of God, we address the one who is the sovereign ruler of the universe who created everything. And, and by the Spirit, we know this is my Father. And I dress him as Father. And I find such comfort in that. And he, and he bears witness that we're God's children. We have access to him and intimacy with him. The Holy Spirit does that. It's so incredible. In 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 rather, he says this. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. And we, don't, we don't do it by ourselves. God works in us. And he says this. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. That seal of ownership is the Holy Spirit. 
And he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He says, when he anointed us with the Holy Spirit, when he gave us the Holy Spirit, what he did was he first put a seal of ownership on us. This is mine. That thing was stamped uh, genuine, 100% genuine. This is mine. I, I have ownership of this. He owns you. He wants you to know that you are his Not only that, the Holy Spirit in our hearts is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. See, I don't know, am I going to make it to the end? Am am I going to get there? Will will I safely make it there? Will Will I keep the faith to the end? Will I be accepted ultimately? He says, the Holy Spirit is for you a down payment saying, there's an installment that will guarantee for you I'm going to take you all the way home. When you die, you'll come to be with me forever and ever. What a beautiful thing. His presence by the Holy Spirit is a promissory note to us to make sure that we understand we are his and that he, has, he will keep us to the very end. The Holy Spirit does that. What a beautiful thing. May I ask you, Have you sensed the presence of God in your life by the Spirit embracing you, telling you how much he loves you, telling you that he's so delighted that you're his child, inviting you to come and talk to him, to climb up, if you will, onto his lap, daddy, and and be embraced in his bosom? You know, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit does in such a beautiful way for us. He affirms that. We're his child, and he is ours. Well, he also empowers us to live a victorious life. He empowers us to live a victorious life. How are we going to make it? How are we going to get through this whole thing? Um, we, said, we said, you know, so often we're disappointed with ourselves. Um, and we want to see God change us. And we try and change ourselves sometimes and that doesn't work well. And we look at the moral test and we see how we succumb to sin at times. And we don't live the righteous life that God wants us to live. And we look at the love test and we see sometimes we don't treat others with the kind of love that we should. That Christ did when he gave himself for them. And if if you want to get really tough earlier in 1 John, he says, you know, uh, as Christ gave his life for Uh, for you. You should give your life for other believers. We were running that through our life group, uh, what that means. And um, But God will give us what we need by the Holy Spirit to become all that he wants us to. In 1 John 4, 14, it says this, you, dear children, uh, are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about the evil one. And, and the demonic thing, and all of those things that are in the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Well, who's in us? Who's in us that, that's greater, that we can overcome that? That we, we, can, we can be what God wants us to be? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who comes into us and who empowers us to live the kind of way so that we can be overcomers. John loved that. He talked about that in other places. That we would overcome. And, and uh, you can overcome because greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, 
than Satan and all of his demonic forces in the whole world system. And what you couldn't do by self-effort, what you couldn't do by yourself, is now possible because God lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And he gives you strength. I, 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 remember, I remember talking to a, um, a guy a number of, quite a number of years ago, and um, his life was coming unglued. His dad and mom had uh, split apart. His best friend had an affair with his mother and moved in with his mother. Um, he was with a woman. They had a child together. She threw him out. He had, he had the little girl every now and again. His life was in a room, and, and, and he called me, and we, we talked and, and I shared with him the good news of Jesus and what Jesus could do in his life. And you know, he looked at me across the table, and I will never forget it. He looked at me with sad eyes, and he said, if I become a follower of Christ, he said, what will I do for fun? I'm going like, you're light, man, you were so messed. And you're wondering what you would do for fun because you look at Christians who maybe don't do this or that or the other thing. Um... You know, um, Gerda and I had the, the extreme privilege of helping a sister of hers and her husband come to faith in Jesus. Um, it, it was such a, a beautiful time, and as we, we talked with them, first my brother-in-law came, and then about a week later, my sister-in-law came, and as we were talking to her, she's, she looked at our life, and she knew that because of our Christian stand, it was a little different than how they lived their life. And she wondered, how am I going to do this? And, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you kind of get sidetracked on some of those things. And, and I, said, I said to her, look, you know what? Don't let that stop you, the thought of that. I mean, God, God doesn't just throw you out there. He can help you to be what he wants you to be. And, and, and don't let that stop you. So, so she moved ahead. And together they were in faith. The, the interesting thing was, over the next few months, the things that they thought would be issues about living a Christian life, they weren't, they weren't issues at all. Because now there was something changing them from the inside. In, in 1 John 5, um, here's a beautiful verse. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Now listen to this. And his commands are not burdensome. Oh, man, you mean you got to go to church every week? Oh, man. Is that what it is to be a Christian? Go to work? Oh, you give money to? Oh, and you serve? Oh, man, I don't think I could handle that. And you don't do this other junk that you used to do that you know is not pleasing to God. But, but you see, when the Holy Spirit is there, his commands and what God wants for us, it's not a burden. It's a joy. I, I, I've told you this, this before, but in... in um, in, in the first Alpha course, I ran uh, a, a kind of a test in our house. And um, there was a guy, we had a couple people who were not yet believers, and we were just running a test Alpha course. And this guy's name was Bob. Bob got dragged by his wife to come into a minister's house to commit for three months to spending every Monday night in our home talking about the Bible. And I... I you know, the, the power that some of you women have is just awesome. Um, because I could see heel marks all the way down the highway to our place. But he was there and he, he looked very uncomfortable having to come. And um, 
you know, uh, he, he, said, he said later, you know, he said, I, I would go to church once or twice uh, a year just to keep my wife off my back. She had, low, she had low expectations, I guess, once or twice a year. He couldn't stand it. He said, it's boring. He said, I could hardly wait to get out of there. He came to faith in Christ. And I, I remember standing up at the uh, beginning of a service one day, and I said, you know what? I, wouldn't, I don't want to be anywhere else than with you guys here worshiping God. And Bob came up to me after the service, and he, he was a kind of a quiet guy, and he shook my hand, and he leaned in and said in my ear, he said, you know what you said about, about not wanting to be anywhere else, and this is a highlight of your week? He said, it really is, isn't it? Who does that? That's the spirit of the living God. And his commands are not burdensome because it's a delight to us when he possesses us. You know, here's the thing. God doesn't want to wreck your life. God doesn't want you to be miserable. And I think somehow that is God is just waiting there to smack you and and to knock you down and watch for you to make a, a mess here or there. That's not it at all. God loves you and you enter into a relationship of love with him. And and, uh, instead of cowering before him or instead of wanting nothing to do with him, instead of being afraid of him, we are filled with assurance that this God loves us and by his spirit he is, he's made it so plain to us and witnessed with our spirit that we are God's children. And you know how you love your kids. You know how they run to you and when they're hurt and, and you just as parents, you embrace them. And Jesus said at one time, if your earthly fathers are basically wicked, but they know how to do good things for you, how much more will your heavenly father shower you with love and care. See, God wants you, he wants you to revel in his love, in the security of your relationship with him. And, and the sad thing for, for me is when, when people are, are so, um, you know, they're just struggling so much and they don't feel God's presence and they're not living for God and they, have, and they realize that you can't do it by your own. But God, by his Holy Spirit, allows us to be and do what he wants us to do and to feel the joy and the certainty to be his child and to know that you know that you know that you know that if you were taken from this earth, you would be in his presence. And you have no fear because fear is about punishment and there's no punishment because the punishment has been placed on Jesus Christ. And that's the joy that we have in him. In John, um, in John 5.13, this is what John says. Kind of you write this over the whole letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know it to the core of your being. I want you to live your life with such assurance and such security that he is with you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what he wants. And we're more than, than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And in John 3.1, John says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Man, 
That's what he wants for you. And as we conclude this, this um, series today, uh, I, want, I want, if you haven't experienced that, I want you to experience God's love, his forgiveness, his acceptance with you. Um, if you're maybe a believer, but you just think God is just waiting to smack you down, to look, find you, make a, make a mistake somewhere, and just get all over you, that's not his, that's not how he works. And, and if you're struggling um, with, am I really a believer? I want you to know we're here to talk to you and to help you and to encourage you. And, and if you're not there yet, if you haven't opened your heart to Christ, my prayer is for you that this day you would do that. And we'll have some people up here if you need somebody to pray with or somebody to talk to. Somebody will be here and they, they would be happy to do with that, that with you. But I want you and God wants you to have the security of a relationship with him that frees you to live for him and to find joy in him and remember that his commands are not burdensome. It is a joy. Father, thank you for these truths from scripture. Thank you for what you have done in our life and what you mean to us. And Father, I pray that you would just bring that comfort and assurance to those who need that from you this day. For those who are struggling and and trying to do it on their own, to recognize they can't do it on their own, and you have done it, Lord Jesus, and they need to put their trust in you, and your Holy Spirit will help them to become everything that you want them to be. And Father, if there's somebody who's, who's never opened their heart to Jesus Christ, I pray hearing about who you are and what you've done for them, that you would open their heart, that they would come to put their trust in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.